0: And answers. Angels and demons. How much do you know about them? What kind of questions have you wanted to ask but did not know where to go? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the arena of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, listen as Pat will be answering some of the most popular questions regarding angels and demons in this two-part message. If you're unable to hear this entire broadcast, all of our messages are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, here is our host. Pat Zugren with part two.
1: You're listening to evidence and answers where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and provide biblical answers to the challenges Christians face today. Well, one of the fun things we like to do here at evidence and answers is we like to answer some of the toughest and most challenging questions that come to us throughout the year. Throughout the year, we get a lot of questions and I like to put them in categories and questions that are intriguing or very challenging we categorize them together and then we put them into a radio show and I answer them here on the radio and one of the most popular categories we get is questions about angels and demons whether I am teaching or I'm on the radio in different parts of the world one of the most popular questions I get is in regarding angels and demons So we're going to take a few moments here to answer some of the toughest questions I have received throughout the years regarding angels and demons. Now, the other day, we answered some of the toughest questions regarding angels, the good guys. Now we're addressing some of the toughest questions regarding demons or fallen angels, the bad guys here. Now remember, these are tough questions. And so often there are several different answers that we can give to some of these questions. So you may not agree with all the answers that I present, but hopefully what I present has good biblical evidence to support my case. And if you disagree or you want to give your input, be welcome to do so at pat at evidenceandanswers.org. And we love to interact with you. Right? So send your questions to pat at evidence and answers dot org. As I stated, we previously answered tough questions about angels. Now let's address the issue of fallen angels. Well, first question here, can Christians become demon-possessed? Well, it appears that Christians cannot be demon-possessed. Demon-possession is defined as a demon residing in a person and takes control over the person. It takes over his thinking, his personality, his entire being. But according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, a believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. His body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. So it is unlikely that God, the Holy Spirit, would share his temple with the devil. 1 John 4, 4 states, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So if the Holy Spirit is greater than the devil, how could he yield control to the devil who is inferior in power? In the Bible, there is no case of a Christian being demon-possessed, but there are occasions when believers are harassed or tempted, but never possessed by the devil. Well, a question related to that is this, what can Satan do to Christians? Well, Satan never ends in his attempt to destroy God's plan and God's people. Driven by complete hate, he seeks, he does not stop in his effort to destroy God's people and God's plans. Now, what can Satan do to believers? As I just said, he cannot possess believers, but Satan certainly can tempt believers. Ephesians chapter 2 Verses one through two and First Thessalonians three through five. And if Satan can tempt Christ, he certainly can tempt believers. Satan can lie or deceive the believer, and throughout the Scriptures we see him doing that, Old and New Testament. And in the New Testament, especially, we see the apostles having to constantly battle against false teaching. And the source behind false teaching ultimately is the devil himself. Satan contempt believers to commit immoral acts. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 5. Satan hinders the work of believers in any way he can. 1 Thessalonians 2, 18. Matthew 13, verses 38 through 39. Satan also plants false believers in the church. Here's the parable of Jesus. The sower went out and he. Sowed good grain or good seed, but the enemy came and scattered weeds in the midst of those good seeds. So, in the morning, when the plants began to rise, the workers saw that there was wheat mixed with weeds. And the workers came to the master and said, Shall we pull out the weeds? And he said, No, at this tender a time, you may pull out the wheat as well. Let them both grow up together. And then at harvest, we'll separate the wheat from the weeds. And so Satan plants false believers in the church. Therefore, we as leaders in the church and as Christians must be aware, not everyone who attends church is necessarily a believer in Christ. In fact, some are false believers in which Satan used to disrupt the life of the body. Just think about it. If you are an enemy, where do you want your best soldiers? Well, you want them as spies in the midst of the enemy camp that's where you want them that's where they can cause the most destruction and that's often where you find the agents of the devil i've you know worked with many churches where in fact there are those in leadership who who didn't seem to be real believers in christ who are causing a lot of trouble in the body and perhaps those were being used by the devil there those were probably false believers who satan was using there to disrupt the effectiveness and life of the body of Christ. And finally, Satan incites persecutions against believers, Revelation 2, verse 10. Satan can also plant doubt in the mind of believers. That's indeed what he did in Genesis three. That's how he deceived Adam and Eve. Satan also seeks to build pride in the hearts of believers, First Timothy chapter three, verse six. That's why Paul warned Timothy not to put a young believer in the place of leadership, lest he become proud and tempted by the devil. Satan can also lead believers from a pure and sincere devotion to Christ. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3. Believers there who probably began with pure motives became proud and were using the name of Christ to promote themselves. So for this reason, since the devil is always on the attack, first Peter five eight states, Be sober minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Therefore, we as believers in Christ are constantly called upon to put on our spiritual armor, Ephesians chapter six, that we may do battle against the adversary that seeks our destruction. Well, related to that, and this is a very tough question with many ways to answer this but what are the signs of demon possession how do we know someone is possessed by a demon or foreign spirit well it's difficult to distinguish between genuine demonic possession and a psychological disorder all right I'm not saying all psychological disorders are demonic in nature nor am I saying all mental disorders are simply psychological. No, I'm saying it's difficult to distinguish between the two. We know that some psychological disorders can be the result of demonic possession, but we must not be too quick to jump to that conclusion. We must be very careful in our treatment and diagnosis of this. In the Bible, individuals who are possessed by demonic spirits had several characteristics. They had unusual strength, Mark chapter 5. Many had multiple personalities, different voices okay, different personalities coming out Mark chapter five, verse nine. They had self-destructive behavior they would slash themselves on mark nine, throw themselves in the fire. Matthew chapter eight, they showed a strong reaction to the name of Jesus Christ. Revelation 13 they blasphemed God and Jesus, and finally they had supernatural knowledge. Now the first five could be attributed to psychological disorders. Not all of them, but they could be, all right, and treated with medication. I've seen people who are in states of great fear with an adrenaline rush do some very remarkable feats of strength. Young children with mental disorders, I remember it took four or five of us to hold them down when they were in their fits of rage. Multiple personality disorders through medication can be treated. I've seen a woman with 32 different personalities after medical treatment. She was completely cured. And I'm not sure that demons would respond to medication. I've seen others with mental disorders with tremendous self-destructive behavior. There are those who indeed do react strongly to the name of Jesus, but also to other names, Confucius or Buddha or whoever. That could be attributed to a mental disorder and those who blaspheme god or jesus that could also be attributed to a mental disorder so with those first five it's very hard to distinguish whether that's psychological or indeed demonic in nature the sixth one however would be a dead giveaway supernatural knowledge supernatural knowledge may be one of the strongest indications of demonic possession When a person knows information they could not possibly know, that may be a sign of demonic possession. So how should we approach cases where we suspect demonic possession? Well, I believe it is the best approach in many of these situations to approach with caution and not immediately jump to the conclusion of demonic possession. We should seek to lead the individual to Christ in any situation. And second, I think we should seek psychiatric care along with spiritual care, the two together. Not all mental illnesses are demonic, and it may do more harm to declare a person demon-possessed when the illness may be due to a medical condition. So I believe the best approach is a complete approach of medical and spiritual treatment. but often it's hard to distinguish between the two we need to pray and ask god for his wisdom and i believe the complete approach medical and spiritual is the best treatment in these kinds of situations well the next question here is can demons cause sickness well in the bible demons can afflict people with illnesses we see that in the book of job he was able to afflict job with boils all over his body some sickness we see is indeed demonic they include muteness matthew chapter 9 blindness matthew chapter 12 fits of rage or epilepsy matthew chapter 17. we know that demons can also cause mental disorders mark chapter 9 verse 22. so although demons can afflict people with illnesses all sicknesses once again are not demonic in origin There are numerous occasions that Jesus healed individuals and there's no mention of any demonic connection with the person's illness. Uh, Examples include the woman with the hemorrhage for many years, Matthew chapter 9, or the 10 lepers in Luke 17. There's no mention of any kind of demonic connection with their illnesses. So although Satan can afflict people with illness, this is not always the case. Now here's another really tough one here. Can Satan read your thoughts Well, I believe only God can know a person's thoughts God alone is omniscient and therefore only God has the ability psalm 139 states O oh God you discern my thoughts from afar even before word is on my tongue behold O oh Lord you know it altogether so God being the omniscient creator of all God can indeed know our thoughts Satan is a created being and Therefore, he has limitations. He is not omniscient as God is. However, he is a very powerful and intelligent being who has observed human behavior for thousands of years. Therefore, it may appear that he can read your mind, but I do not believe that he has that ability. Satan, being a very intelligent being, is a super psychologist who knows human behavior well and can understand your thinking and habits therefore he as any good strategist can anticipate your thoughts and actions but he cannot read your mind here's another question I get asked a lot is about UFOs what exactly are UFOs well we have done several shows on UFOs and we talked about the probability of life on other planets is very small also most UFO accounts appear to be fraudulent however if there are legitimate accounts I believe you could build a good case that they are indeed demonic in nature and that's what they appear to be Here's several reasons why first these beings appear to fly in a manner not possible by any object in our dimension the ability to suddenly appear fly at tremendous speeds and move at sharp 90-degree angles All seem to indicate perhaps a multi-dimensional being which is what the angels are next if you study the accounts of UFO encounters and the message from the aliens the message or the salvation message presented to people point people to a source other than Christ they teach that our origins are not from God but that our origins are from another planet they teach a different kind of Christ that Christ was an alien being and that eternal life can be attained by believing in beings other than Jesus or that these beings somehow have the source of life and everlasting life so their message seems to point away from what the Bible teaches and away from Jesus Christ so it appears a genuine UFO encounter you could build a good case that they are indeed demonic In nature now here's a really interesting question if angels and demons cannot die what is the point of their engaging in battle well it is true angels cannot die or be destroyed but they can be defeated in the Bible spiritual warfare in the heavenly realms between angels and demons is real and does occur frequently and although angels and demons cannot be destroyed there are several ways in which they can be defeated First, demons attempt to thwart God's plans. But in the same way, the plans of the devil can be resisted and even overcome. In Daniel chapter 9, the prince of Persia, a powerful demon, sought to keep Gabriel, the archangel of God, from delivering God's message to Daniel. But with the aid of Michael, the archangel, Gabriel was able to break through and deliver God's message to Daniel. So the devil's plan to thwart God's plan can be defeated second demonic strongholds over people and territories can be broken in Revelation 2 verse 13 the city of Pergamum is called Satan's throne first John 5:19 states that the whole world is under the power of the evil one so although the devil has areas he has temporary control over Christ has come to deliver us from the power of the devil first John 38 states the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work Colossians 2:15 states that he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. As a result of triumphing on the cross, Christ defeated the evil powers which had a hold on people through false teachings of legalism. Third, demons are defeated as they are confined to angelic prisons. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 4 states God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell. There, the word for the angelic prison hell there is Tartarus, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the day of judgment. So some demons are imprisoned already, awaiting the day of judgment. Now, the ultimate defeat of the devil will occur at the end of the age when he and all his followers will be thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation 20, verse 10 states... And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So demons cannot be killed, but they can be defeated. That is why the angels and God's people are to engage them in battle. Next question, can demons attach themselves to non-living objects such as idols or charms? Well, I've met many believers who are terrified to enter Hindu or Buddhist temples because they believe demons are dwelling in the idols there or in the buildings or in the walls. And I've met other Christians who are terrified of statues or ornaments that resemble occult objects or figures. Well, do demons dwell in inanimate objects? Well, there's no biblical support to the idea that demons can attach themselves or inhabit physical objects. This belief is based on animistic beliefs and pervading occult beliefs and practices. In animistic cultures, it is believed that spirits and forces dwell in physical objects such as idols, trees, rocks, buildings, or dolls. In the Bible, demonic spirits seek to inhabit people, not inanimate objects. Only in one instance do we see demons inhabiting animals in Mark chapter 5, when the demonic horde asked to be released and go into the pigs, but this is... A result of being cast out of an individual, not indwelling a particular object. So there seem to be no accounts of demons being in or attached to objects. And the Bible does not warn us about demons attaching themselves to objects. Occult practices may attract evil spirits. And since certain objects are used in those practices, it might seem that the demons are attracted to the objects. However, this does not mean the demons are in the objects. It is the occult activity itself that attracts them. So when people who have been involved in the occult come to Christ, they're often advised to get rid of their occult books and objects, not because the objects have demons in them, but because the books and objects would be a source of future temptation. There are some who point to Acts chapter 19, where former magicians burn their magic books, indicating that these objects have demonic spirits. But the passage doesn't say that. It's more likely that these new believers were burning their magic books to to prevent the spread of lies and to show that they were now believers in Christ. The animistic belief that demons can possess objects is dispelled in Isaiah chapter 44, where the prophet in writing about idols writes this, All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. He cuts down cedars. He chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar, and the rain nourishes it, then becomes fuel for a man. He takes part of it and warms himself. He kindles the fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over half of it he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. And he also warms himself and says, Aha, I'm warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to worship it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me for you are my God. They know not, nor do they discern. For you shut their eyes so that they cannot see and their hearts so that they cannot understand. No one considers... Nor is there knowledge or discernment to say half of it I burn in the fire and also half baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray. He cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? So in this passage, Isaiah doesn't say that the idol has tremendous power instead isaiah mocks the idea as human delusion that an idol made from human hands has indeed any power at all so as believers in christ we do not need to fear objects or idols as if the objects themselves possess any power but the practice or the teaching behind it is what we should indeed be very concerned about doesn't appear that demonic spirits attach themselves to objects like idols or houses or charms. Instead, it seems like demons are interested in, in dwelling in people. So when you're in these animistic cultures throughout the world, there's really no need to fear idols or objects that they may put against believers in Christ. The final question here is, if Satan knows his end, why does he keep fighting? Why not repent and save himself? Well, this is the nature of evil. I mean, pride has consumed Satan and overtaken his heart and mind, and he would rather die than repent of his ways. And we've seen that in men and women who have become so deluded by pride, they would never repent or admit their guilt, even when the evidence is absolutely irrefutable. And the same is true when you study human nature. Even with powerful evidence for the truth of Christ, Most people would rather spend eternity away from God than repent of their sin and turn to Christ. Completely consumed by pride and sin, when someone has gone that far, it is almost impossible for them to repent of their sin, seek forgiveness, and turn back. Satan, having dwelt in the very presence of God, having been completely overcome now by sin and by pride, that's the danger of pride and sin, it can completely take control over your mind and pervert and twist your mind. He will not repent. He'd rather spend eternity away from God, fighting against God for all eternity than repent and seek forgiveness. That is the nature and the power of evil and sin and pride when it overtakes an individual. Well, those are some of the tough questions we received about angels and demons. I hope you really enjoyed this series as I address some of the toughest questions that you asked me over the years. And if you have more questions, feel free to send them my way at pat pat.evidenceandanswers.org. It's a great learning opportunity for me and for everyone else who gets to hear these questions and hear me address and answer some of the most challenging questions here. So I hope you enjoyed this series, Tough Questions About Angels and Demons. We'll answer some more tough questions in other different categories throughout the year here on Evidence and Answers. And I look forward to more of your questions as you send them to pat at evidenceandanswers.org. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time here on Evidence and Answers.
0: Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you find this broadcast to be of a great value to you, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You will find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles, additional audio, and Pat's books. Please share our website with your family, your friends, and your church. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers.